Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. What does it really mean to be a first? That's what I talk about with my next guest. She's Kameen Samuels. She is the Navy's first black woman helicopter pilot. Uh, We talk about what it took to get there. Uh, We also talk about uh, what happens in the course of making that type of history. Sometimes the people who you thought would be supportive uh, can be less so. And sometimes one might be pleasantly surprised by finding or making allies and friends in new places. Here I am with Kameen Samuels. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kameen Samuels. Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So one thing that most people know is that you can't really get anything done in life if at some point you don't endure or or overcome some type of conflict. Conflict is inevitable. How would you describe the role that conflict has played in getting you where you are? Well, I, I, I love that you bring it in right from the beginning, like conflict <laughs> to me or obstacles, right? Because I don't, you know, people shy away from conflict, right? They're, they're conflict avoidant. And the truth is we can't grow without conflict. And, and I tell my clients all the time, you know, they'll, they'll be uh, complaining about their family and, and, you know, what has happened in their family. And, and I'm like, well, you have like a little misunderstanding about what that conflict is there to, to help you with. I like to think of it as an egg, a, chick, a, a chicken and egg. Inside of that egg, it can be a butterfly or whatever. Inside of that, it's safe. It's warm. If you don't break free, if somebody cracks that egg for you, you cannot, that chick cannot fly, cannot fully progress. A butterfly, the same thing if somebody cuts it out of the cocoon. Conflict is required for us to grow and to find out who we are and how do we how do we see the world and grow our own like belief in who we are, what we can do, and and own our gifts and abilities. You are the Navy's first African American woman helicopter pilot. You've made history. Now, Kameen, when you think about making that history and accomplishing what you did. Is there a conflict? Is there um, sort of a battle uh, with anyone or with anything that you had to overcome to get there that you want to talk about? Well, uh, there was a lot of conflict. (laughs) First, internal conflict, right? Could I even do it? Like at first I was like, no, you know, I'll, I'll go the easier route than going aviation because I knew it was going to be challenging mentally, emotionally, physically, even spiritually. Uh, and then externally, the conflict was I wasn't an athlete and I was an average student, but not, you know, top of my class kind of a student. So I had these beliefs about myself and whether I could really accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And so uh, I had to uh, endure a lot of conflict around, especially physical things. I I failed, you know, this one run many times and had extra help (laughs) to get through it. Uh, So it was it's, and I find this with most people, it's like, it's both the internal, right? For me, it was, am I good enough? Could I even become a pilot? What, 
what made me think when I was down there in Pensacola all by myself, what made me think that this was a good idea? And then the external of, okay, now that I'm here, how do I actually fulfill this mission that I've decided to go on? And and how am I going to get through an obstacle course, which really is is part of life that we have obstacle courses that we have to get through and have to strengthen from. I think what you're saying is that the war with the voices inside your head sometimes, the voices that are telling you you're not good enough, you're not fast enough, you're not smart enough, that that can be as a big a battle as, as battling exterior forces. You know, when you think about your career, not just the history that you made in the Navy, but just your career more generally, were there times when, you know, you thought somebody was not on your side, but then they turned out to be an unexpected ally? And if so, um, I'd love to hear about it. I, I think that sometimes, you know, people go into situations, especially tough ones. Now we use this language where like, this person's an ally and that person's not an ally. Like what... What does allyship more generally mean to you? And tell me about a time when you encountered somebody who turned out to be one um, in a way that surprised you. Ally is an interesting word because it sets up a paradigm that I'm just, I usually don't use that much, which is there's an ally and an enemy. <laughs> so if you, ha- if you have allies, there must be an enemy. And so for me, I've been really blessed to have some amazing allies. So, you know, we wouldn't think necessarily, you know, as an African-American female, that white males would be my strongest allies throughout my career, whether it was the military, corporate, and even as a coach. It's And they have championed me. They have uh, believed in me, seen me in a way that, maybe others haven't. And so for me, it's always looking at as allies, it's like, one, what are we up to? So for, I'm somewhat still mission driven in my life. So what am I doing? And who can, who can I have with me? Some of the surprises that weren't allies were women, you know, women leaders or even peers, because they, there was some perceived competition versus and we're all in this together. And so the ability for for me to to create strong allies with my you know counterparts, my compadre male uh, males in my fields has been so powerful for me to grow in any area because without them I wouldn't know they you know because there's things that they'll say behind the scenes like hey you know do this or whatever so I'm very coachable <laughs> so um, <laughs> the ability to, I wanted to hear everything they wanted to share and then put it into action it's a good point that you raise and a good reminder because often you know if you are a woman if you're a woman of color if you're a black woman there are a lot of rooms where there aren't that many other people who look like you. And so it's important to find allyship, you know, to find uh, folks who will support you who may not be in your package. Uh, sometimes you may not have any choice if you want to get any support <laughs> at, at all. So why this path? You're the first black woman to be a Navy helicopter pilot. Why did you choose aviation? Why the Navy? Why did you go down this road? Hmm. 
you know, the the best I can describe where it first start was uh, my older brother was NROTC in college and Navy, and he would bring home his gear uh, on break and his cover, his hat. And I'd go in his bedroom and, you know, when he wasn't around and I'd put on his cover and I'd, I'd practice with his sword. And I'm, I'm younger than he is. So I, you know, seven years. And so I was very impressionable. And I just kind of got this idea about, you know, serving our country. The other thing I w- didn't really want to do was go from college directly to, you know, two vacation weeks a year. I wanted to see the world. I have a travel bug inside of me. So I like to travel a lot. And so I thought, let's go to the Navy and see the world. And so it wasn't until second semester senior year that I really thought about it. And through a course of action, uh, I took the test a second time, didn't do well the first time, (laughs) took the test a second time. And when I finished that, they said, you want to take the aviation test? And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And I did well enough that they were at least willing to send me off to Pensacola. And after I took the test, I said, you know, like, what is actually entailed in, in aviation? And they said, well, you have to run a mile a day, mile and a half a day and swim a mile. And I was like, I'm a pretty good swimmer. Let me try it for a couple of weeks. And, and I did. And uh, after that, I was like, nah, let me go the other route. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that seemed way <laughs> hard. And so it was a few months later, I was on a senior trip and on the beach in uh, Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, walking down the beach by myself one morning and a formation of military helicopters flew overhead. And being a, I come from a spiritual background, I was like, really, God? So I called my recruiters and I said, hey, like, what are the chances of switching my package? They said, I'll call, we'll call you back in 20 minutes. I called back in 20 minutes and they said, your package has been switched. Your medical physical is this date. Your arrival date in Pensacola is this date. And I'm like, I, I haven't talked to my parents. I, what are you talking about? I just said, what are the chances? And so there was a little bit of like magic. <laughs> like it just took over once I, I asked that question. And then I ended up going through it and, and struggled, but uh, finally got my commission and went on to flight school. I want to go back to something you said about uh, in response to my question about who were folks who you may have expected to be allies. For my uh, listeners who aren't watching this, I just used air quotes around the term allies. Um, and you previously said women. Um, I, I want to touch on that because it reminds me of something I heard a little while ago. I was listening to the news or something, and I heard uh, a woman who I respect say, the world would be so different if women were just running everything. But I think we would both agree, right, that we should have a world where women and people yes. of color and everybody can you know, reach and do their full potential without a lot of artificial barriers, um, as has been the case historically. How do you think that we can... You know, this may, I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. How, how can we have a more nuanced conversation about the need for diversity and representation mm. without like ascribing all of these things to what that means? And I'm putting this to you because certainly I think much is often made of your achievement as the first black woman Navy helicopter pilot. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. You know, because Tanya, the the thing that we have to start to look at is there's 
we need everyone at the table to make sure that we have the right products out there, that they speak to everyone. And if we have only one side of view, because I've seen some happen things happen when there's only one-sided view, where there's not gates and, you know, that, you know, where there's not questioning of, is this the right thing to do? And is this the right thing for our company to do? And so it there isn't any reason why any company shouldn't want more voices at the table. Um, we do, there are some things that we have to do to, in order to get our women and, and this is this includes me when I was an executive. Get our women prepared for those conversations. Um, generally, we're more emotional when we men. And this is not everyone. That was a generalization. Um, I, I can speak for myself. I can come off very emotionally based when I'm very passionate about something. And some of the women that uh, were on my teams were very much that way. And learning how to speak and learning how to be at the table and really um, realizing that our, our voice actually matters. And that's all colors, races, all diversity of all kind, because we'll get a better product and it'll speak to the people that we're that we want to uh, buy our products, our services, whatever. So the more the more we are really taking into account different voices and recognizing that everyone is needed. And that it may just be a training thing, an opportunity to educate how to be in the room, how to have a seat at the table, how to use our voice in a way that is more inclusive for everyone, that that opens doors in so many ways. I want to talk a little bit about frustration. When you're trying to accomplish something, in your case, uh, you were in the process, and you ultimately did, um, but you were, uh, as you were trying to accomplish the goal of becoming a, a Navy pilot, can you think about a time where you just got really, really frustrated and you had to employ certain tools to kind of get yourself back on track? I mean, I think what I'm getting at is that everybody, right, whether or not the battle is with somebody else, whether or not the battle is with the voices in your head telling you that you're not going to make it, whether or not, you know, you've tried to accomplish something and you haven't quite made it and you've got to go back and try again. What are your tools you know, if you've got a story to share, that would be great. But if you can even also talk generally about the tools you use to remotivate yourself when you feel like you're coming up short or where maybe at some point uh, in your process, Kameen, you did come up short. I'll give you a couple of examples. So one is uh, when I was in the military and I mentioned about uh, running. I wasn't a runner. There was this three mile run. You had to run a mile and a half with a rifle and then a mile and a half without it. And I came up short a lot for several reasons. Uh, and so on the, I think it was the sixth time I ran that race. I remember being in the chow hall and the master chief said something. He, he called me over and, and when they call you, it's not pleasant, you know, and I was just devastated that day. And I had run with a different battalion and he said, to me, you know, the only reason, one of the gunnery sergeants said, you know, 
they should just kick you out. He, he just really deep voice, you should just kick you out, Bell, which is my maiden name. And I, and I, and I was just like, whatever, like in my head, whatever. And then the master chief said, uh, master gunnery sergeant said, they won't kick her out because she's black and she's a female. And in that like moment, just all, something... this is all right in front of you. They're just no, <laughs> they're just no like... inside voice, just right in front of you. <laughs> and it really, and it just sounded like that. She's black and she's a female. And I was like, oh, oh, you did not just say that out loud. Like I, I know that's your inside voice, but that was out. I heard that. And and what I did there, which was very different for me at that point, because I was exhausted, because I knew what was true, they just shouldn't have said it. And I went to, uh, I did speak up for myself and I went to my lieutenant at that time. And I just said, I get that that it might be the reality. I just don't think it should have been said. Now, I hadn't spoken up. From that point on, it was almost like it was hands off, right? And, and... I thought they were going to send me home, and I was happy. I really wanted them to send me home. Inside of me, however, I had made a commitment. I had com- made a commitment to myself. The only commitment I had ever made up until, you know, 22 was don't quit. Couldn't quit. And I knew that that's all they wanted me to do was to quit. Hmm. And from that point on, that resolve not to quit was the guiding light in everything that I did. And so being able to speak up for ourselves, being able to just voice, I wasn't in a threatening way. I just I just spoke calmly about it. And I finally did pass the run, did get my commission. And then when I got my commission, I made another decision, which is to be number one in the squadron when I when I finished. That was the second commitment that that served me well in my career because I was far and away above everyone else when I got my wings. And so the ability for all of us to realize that we we can choose not to quit on ourselves, we can choose to commit, we can have a vision for our lives. And I work with my clients all the time on this. What is your vision that you want to accomplish, whether it's a short-term goal, a sprint, a a long-term goal? The strategy to get there can change. The vision doesn't change. Hmm. And I live by it now, especially because I teach it a lot, is, is a testing mentality. So you can have a you can have this vision for your life. But if the strategy needs to change, most people give up when the strategy fails, right? And they think that the vision, they shouldn't become a doctor, they shouldn't do this, they shouldn't, you know, whatever. And the truth is, there's no way, going back to obstacles and conflict, there's no way actually to achieve the goal on the first try without some conflict. And that conflict is just, oh, I need to, che- I need to tweak the tra- strategy, that's it. And if we have this testing mentality at, to life, like, oh, I want to do X. Okay, how I'm getting there? Oh, can't do it that way. Interesting. And if we come at it from a science perspective, it just allows everything to go much smoother and in our lives because then we don't take it personally that I failed. No, 
The strategy failed. The strategy didn't even fail. The strategy just needs to be tweaked in some way. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think another point you make, uh, which really bears emphasizing, is the point about having a vision uh, for your life, right? Because one of the things that strikes me, and it's in fact part of the reason I wanted to do this series, The Art of Our Wars, is because I often think that we are so busy you know, people can get so caught up in the noise and the fight and the clap back, you know, and the making sure that my hashtag uh, is more, goes viral bigger than your hashtag did. We can sometimes lose sight of what the end game is, you know, like the fight becomes so all consuming that we forget what the win is, right? Like we can forget how to define the win or to define that vision. How do you, you're a coach, how do you advise your clients when you are trying to get them to stay focused on the vision, on the end game? What's your best advice for doing that? Because there's a lot of noise out there, not just generally, but you know, in people's lives. A lot of the things that I work with my clients on is creating the stair step to their vision. Many times people will pick a vision that's either, you know, too big way out there and and they fall into that crack in our in our psyche that where all the limiting beliefs show up right i'm not good enough i'm not enough i can't do this they hear the voices of sometimes they're you know family of origin or teachers or whatever and so if we make the 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 goals to that vision in something that they can really stair step into and they need to keep that vision in front of them on a daily basis. So there's the bigger vision, I wanna become X. I wanna become a doctor, a pilot, whatever. I wanna grow a prosperous business in some way. That There's a number that they have in mind or an idea. Well, how you get there, well, let's do some doable steps. Let's not go too big. And it keeps us on the path because when we're focused on the path, then we stop looking to the left or the right. Then we stop comparing ourselves, which many times, and I've been guilty of it, of you know knocking myself off because the I'm comparing myself to somebody I've put on a pedestal somewhere. And the ability for us to keep, you know, I kind of our head down on our goal, keep focused, make create milestones. Uh, create and celebrate our wins along the way. One of the things I do with one of my groups is, well, both of my groups is I have them tell me at the very beginning what went well and why this week. The more we can really celebrate and then get back in our game and stay focused and on that path, the better. I think about the history, uh, Kameen, that you've made. I know what it means to me, right? I mean, as a Black woman, I grew up and, you know, black women have always been doing all kinds of things everywhere throughout time. But certainly there were presumptions, you know, there were kind of presumptions about what we were going to do, you know, what, where we should be, where we should belong. I think those presumptions are weaker now, but they still have to be challenged. And what your history means to me is that here's somebody else who said, you're not going to put me in a box. I can do whatever I want, wherever I want. You know, I'm going to, um, I'm going to make my path wherever I choose it. What does your history, and maybe this is, <laughs> I don't, I, I'll tell people in a little bit how we met, but um, you may be too modest to answer this question, but uh, give it a go. 
What does the history that you made mean to you? Like when you think about what you've accomplished, what do you think about it? And if you say, well, I don't you know, go through my life thinking about it. I'm, I'm reminding you of it right now. <laughs> so tell me, what, what does it mean to you, what you did? This is definitely a difficult one for me. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. Uh, Because when I came out of the military and I went into business for myself, I failed. I went into corporate and succeeded over time. And then and now as a coach, the I I put kind of my my military career in a box. It was like, yeah, that, that was something I did great. It's not who I am. So I just kept moving on. And so when you ask that question about what does it mean to me, it's interesting. I recently met met a man who was in the army and he said to me, uh, he had retired after uh, decades. And, and he said, oh, I heard about you. And I'm like, what do you mean you heard about me? And he said, well, I heard that, you know, you, you did really well as a pilot and even getting your commission. And that's really what, that's what I wanted my legacy to be, is when I graduated number one or went into my squadrons is, and, and pretty much every time was one or two at the, at the top, I wanted them to always know what black women could do. I wanted, I never wanted them to create a stereotype that said we're, you know, we're just getting by because I had had that with, you know, getting my commission but from a pilot standpoint, I wanted to like knock it out of the park. So every female behind me, they had to live up to, well, this is what they can do, right? Because there's a they, air quote, they can do. And so for me, that legacy of knowing that other people knew about me and that I had to really you know, I, I, I was well ahead of my male counterparts when I got my commission, my, my wings specifically, and then had a really amazing career. That's what I wanted people to always remember. And so, because I wanted every other female behind black female, white female, anybody behind me to be like, Oh, I can do that. I have a chance at being number one. And I, and I have since met some that, and they were, also in their squadron. And so for me, it's, it's making sure that the perception of who we are and what we can do was true to that there isn't anything we can't do. Mm, beautifully said. We met in the context of honoring uh, a great legacy. Uh, it was at, on the USS Iowa as part of our Admiral, our uh, Black History Month celebration honoring Vice Admiral Gravely, who, as many of you know or have heard me say many times, was the first African-American to command a Navy battleship. He served on the USS Iowa's communications officer. If you're in L.A., you should go to the Iowa. But this is how um, uh, Kameen and I uh, first uh, met each other. And in that program, you were uh, talking to young people and giving great advice to young people. If you would, Kameen, I think that we're in a moment now where it's not just young people who are looking for good golden nuggets. I mean, you know, the, there's a lot of turmoil. There is a lot of despair. There's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of grown folks, right, who I think are feeling unmoored and adrift. Um, you know, uh, there's a sense that the system only works for certain people and that if you're not one of those few people, uh, all is lost. 
What do you say? How do you, what's your advice for folks who are feeling left out, left behind, like not in the mix? Uh, all of these, you know, they turn on the news and the good news is happening to people other than them. And they've got to deal with all of the muck that people have to deal with. What's your advice to people who just, who need to find some spark to try to get motivated to move forward? So this is a, a beautiful question because I, I, I want to warn the listeners, <laughs> I'm all optimism. So if I get a, a, a glass with quarter inch in it, a full, I'm all full. I'm an all full kind of gal. And so there's a couple of things that people can do. I say this from the fullness of my heart and the knowing that I have that this is the most creative time in history and that turn off the news and go create your news. Go create the life that you want. What could you do? Every one of us has skills and abilities and superpowers that we can use that will begin to help people to um, see them differently. They have to, one of the things that I work with people all the time on is how do they see themselves, right? What do they believe about themselves? If I, if I could do, be a pilot, if I could be an executive, if I could be a, a prosperous coach, then they can. They can do anything. Everybody can. And so going back to what you said about a vision, you have to have a vision. Without a vision, people perish. So you have to have a vision for your life. And so today, what's, what is it that you wanted to do between the ages of 7 and 14? Did you want to be a, a pilot, an artist, a, a singer, a, a doctor? And so there are different ways that that can manifest no matter how old you are. And the ability for us to take, again, that first step and, and I say this, and it was, it was interesting when we were on the, on the Iowa, someone asked about, you know, how to, how to thrive and how to succeed. And I said, I kept my head down. I mean that from the literal sense of when I was in the Navy, the only way I could get through a run was keeping my head down. If I looked up, <laughs> I'd see how far I went. And if it wasn't at the end, towards the end, I'd even slow up. So the ability for us to keep our heads focused on what's that next step? Take it. Test it out. See what it is. If, if you have an amazing voice, try out for something. Sing your heart out. So the ability... Each of us has the ability to innovate on our own life. And so I would encourage all people to write down their goals. What would you like to accomplish in the next three to six months? What would you like to accomplish this year? What would you like to accomplish in the next three years? I usually don't go further than that because life happens and they change. But you can have a vision for your life. There are many exercises that are on, you know, what would you like them to say at your, at your funeral? What would your eulogy say? And start to live from that. So if you can take those and live from that and start to see, well, who would I need to be if I were going to be an executive at my company and I'm now, you know, an entry-level person? Well, who would I need to be? A lot of times I'm really working with my clients on where that persona, like an old, warm, 
favorite coat. Like walk in it. When you're doing the dishes or getting dressed in the morning, who would you be at that next level? Listen from that step, that that next step. Take action on those things so that you can begin to move forward. One of the things I love to say that was what my parents said all all the time to all of us as kids, there are four of us, be excellent anyway. No matter what happens in your life, it's not about taking the high road. It's like, be excellent. Be excellent so that they can't deny that. One of the greatest books to to read is uh, from Cal Newport on on um, so good they can't ignore you. Be so good that that whatever it is that you want to do, they can't ignore you. Help people serve and, and be uh, that persona of who accomplishes that. Be excellent anyway. I, I love that. So since we know each other a little bit before, I can tell people that you and I have something in common. And (laughs) we have a big love and a big passion in common. And that is Disneyland. Yes. Just to switch it up for a minute. Disneyland. So before you go, Disneyland is actually, Camille, one of my favorite places anywhere ever. I'm not going to spend time talking about why I love it so much. I want to hear about why you love it so much. And then one day we're going to go. Oh, Disneyland is definitely one of my favorite places on this planet, if, if not the favorite. Uh, I, ke- I keep behind me this picture of Cinderella's castle. I will keep it up if, no matter who I'm talking with. Uh, because for me, it is about ma- like their life is magical. Like we get to create magic in our own life. And I took my just went there a couple of weeks ago. Took my husband for his birthday. So, you know he's older, so I'm like, we're going. You know, you want to go to Disneyland, and I am like, was he like, yeah, or was yes, he like, no, he are we just loved, going to Disneyland for you, no. honey? <laughs> uh, I won't be. I can't. I can't take him on the teacups anymore. <laughs> I made him put his head back one time and that was a bad, like, because for me, like all things spinning are, is wonderful. And so the ability for us to realize that there is a happy place on earth, that we get to create our happy place and, and that opportunity for us to create the magic in our own lives, to realize that, you know, if, if I don't like what is going on in my life right now, I get to look at it differently because I'm always looking for, you know, and I stopped my clients at, when we went into COVID. Like, here the here here is what we're going to deal with. How is this a blessing in your life? Whatever the challenge is, you know, how did we unconsciously create it? Not not the the challenge the the horrific things of of losing people, but how did we do that? And that was because people were like, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to work. How do we collectively not go to work? And then what are the things that we want? Like, what are we hearing? What are we awakening to in our life? And then how to take action. And so magic and Disneyland reminds me of that all the time. That, wait, I don't like this circumstance. Let me change it. We can do that from the inside out. Wealth, abundance, joy, happiness, freedom is first an inside game, then an outside game. I love that. 
And I love how you made Disneyland just even more important to me than it already is. <laughs> as a symbol, as, as of a symbol of great magic. Kameen Samuels, you are a coach, you are an author, you are a history maker, you are also a fan of Disneyland and just an extraordinary person. I really do hope you come back. It's been an honor meeting you and getting to know you a little bit. And I do hope that we see each other again here on my show, if not at the Magic Kingdom. I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. And le yes, let's plan Disneyland because I, I, I can go any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Kameen. Thank you. Thank you. 